Um, so think of questions that get asked of you regularly, right? Uh, if you have kids, usually that question is why, 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 why? Uh, there's a lot of questions that get asked of you and or asked from you. And based on those questions, they kind of fall into one or two categories. If I'm being like overly generic here, one of, one of those, uh, one category of those questions are, it's just a question. It's like an informational question. What's your favorite color? The reason you ask that question is because you want to know something, right? There's another category of questions that might not be necessarily a hard question, but it is an impactful question. For example, when a preacher stood in front of me and my now wife and looked at me and says, Brian, will you take Becky to be uh, your wife? Do you want to marry her? Like those are two questions, both questions, but both with very different intentions. Do I just want to know some information or is this a lifelong, life-altering answer that I really ought to think through? It's not just what's your favorite color. It's not just what are you going to wear today. It's a question that Becky and I got asked almost nine years ago. Will you move from California to Georgia to plant a church? Like that's not just an information-seeking question. It's a, is, are you willing to like let your life be changed? Are you, letting God, are you allowing God to move in your life? Those questions are significant. I think we need to pay attention to them. Reason I bring that up is because I had a friend ask me this question a few months ago, and it has been so unbelievably helpful in my own personal walk with Christ. Here's the question that I'm going to ask you just as I was asked. What question might God be asking you? When he first asked me that, it took me by surprise. I was like, I've never thought of that. I've, I've asked God a lot of questions. Right? And I felt like I've been listening for God to give me answers through his word, but I've never paused enough to, say, to think, what question might God be asking? Because if you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that Jesus does give answers. He's not afraid of giving answers. And a lot of people were asking Jesus questions and some very specific questions. But what's fascinating is Jesus, a lot of times, asked a question back. Do you know that? He didn't just give all the answers, which he did at some point, but he was not afraid to just ask more questions and ask other people questions. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, here's a list. This is not all of them. This is just the ones that I could fit on this screen for you. Here's a lot of the questions that Jesus asked throughout the Gospels, just a few. Why are you so afraid? Who do you say I am? Do you still have no faith? Do you love me? Do you believe this? Does this offend you? Do you want to get well? Where is your faith? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Like, these are some of the questions that Jesus asked, and they're not informational questions. They're not questions that that Jesus was asking to just get to know you a little better. These are questions that Jesus was asking, and based on their answer, could radically change their life. It would truly alter the course of their life based on how they answered Jesus' question. So I've been personally in my own study, have been wrestling through that idea over the last several months, and I've been having so much fun with it. I was like, I'm going to bring you all into this. So that's what we're going to do between now and all the way through Easter. We're going to look at different questions that Jesus asked other people in the Gospels, but look at the context and why did he ask that question? And what would we say if he asked us those questions? My hope and prayer is that it's not just helpful, but maybe one of these questions over the next few weeks is the question that God really might be asking you. Because if we know anything about scripture, not only is it true and gives us insight into the character of God, 
it will hit you right where you are today. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. would love for you to have a Bible. Open it. Look at it. You're going to see a lot of context. If you don't have a Bible that you can find or understand, I got a stack of Bibles right on the lobby. Make sure you grab one. That is our gift to you, the best thing I know how to give you. If not, your phone will work or I'll put them up on uh, the verses on the screen here. John chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the scene that start, starts to unfold, and then we're going to see the question that Jesus asks. Verse 1, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. It's huge. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Verse 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. How long? 38 years. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. 38 years he had been sick and laying on this porch. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, so he already knew this, he asked him, here's the question, would you like to get well? Fascinating question. This man had been sick for how long? Nice job, you're paying attention. 38 years, and we see in verse 6 that this wasn't a shock to Jesus he knows this man has been ill for that long. He knows this man has been unable to walk. Now, we don't know if the 38 years um, was his entire life. In that time, 38 years could literally be considered a lifetime. Regardless of whether this man had been paralyzed his entire life or whether it was just the most recent 38 years, we can all agree 38 years is a long time. In those 38 years, Jesus is aware and knew what he went through, yet he still asked the question, do you want to get well? Let me talk about just the question real quick, and then we'll kind of unpack it. First of all, notice that Jesus does not say, would you like to walk? Would you like to be healed? Would you, would you like me to heal your legs? He doesn't ask that question. He, use a, he uses a different word here. The word well, original Greek language, that word there literally means whole. So if we were to say it maybe how it was intended, it would be, do you want to be made whole? And the reason that's significant is because Jesus' desire is not just to fix a problem in your life. That's not why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again three days later. Jesus came to make us whole, to not just change our lives, but to give us new life. And so for this man to be asked that question by Jesus, do you want to be made whole? I don't know if this man realized it at the point, but Jesus is getting at, I'm not just talking about your legs. I'm not just talking about your sickness and your illness. I'm talking about your entire life. Do you want me to make you whole? Do you want to get well? Let's think about that. It seems like an obvious, yes, duh, of course. Jesus, why would you even ask that question? But then let me throw two words into the mix, and maybe we start to see how this man might start second-guessing how he would answer Jesus. Predictability and familiar predictable, and familiar. As we said, 38 years is a long time. So just let's think for a moment. You've been doing the same thing for 38 years. You've been living the same life for 38 years. You have learned to adapt and adjust to your condition over 38 years. He's been sitting at this pool with about the same people we're told here in verse two and verse three, there's a lot of crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. They're all there together. They have something in common. So he probably had made friends next to the pool. 
probably sat in the same place, just like you sit in the same chair every single Sunday. He probably sat at that same spot next to the pool every single day for 38 years. On the outside, we might look and say, yeah, but like you're going to be able to walk and you're going to get better. But is there a part of this man that would think, but this is all I know. My day's predictable. I know what to expect. I've gotten used to this. I've gotten used to not being able to walk. I've gotten used to my every single day, even though you might not think it's the best life, it's the life he's gotten used to, predictable and familiar. You see the same faces. You get used to seeing the same people. There's no change. 38 years, and Jesus is asking, do you want to change? After 38 years, are you ready for something new? Think about everything else that would also change. If this man gets healed, if Jesus heals the man, then where he had spent most likely those 38 years next, sitting next to the pool, he's no longer able to be there. Like that space was specifically for people that had a problem, that had a disease, that had an illness, that, that weren't able to walk, that couldn't see. And so if he's healed, if he's made whole, he's no longer allowed to be there. So he has to go somewhere else. He's going to have to re-enter society. He's going to probably have to get a job. He's going to have to re-engage with his family. Responsibilities are going to be added to him. He's going to lose some old relationship, and he's going to have to make some new relationships. Expectations of what people would expect of him would begin to change. If you start to unpack this, 38 years, are you ready for a change? That's a big question. So even on the outside, when we read the story, we think it's a silly question. Jesus, of course he wants to be well. Of course he wants to be healed. But then you throw those two words in, predictable and familiar, and maybe I'm not so sure. When Jesus offers us new life, sometimes we hesitate because sometimes we choose predictable, familiar, and comfortable, even when change is needed and necessary and the right thing. Right? Sometimes we hesitate I know this is the right thing. I know this is good. I know this is what I need. I know this is what I should do. But I hesitate because sometimes we choose the predictable. I just like knowing what's going to happen and, and change. Uh, it's different. I just want to choose what's familiar. This is what I know. This is what I've gotten used to. I want to choose comfortable because, once again, this is, this is what I know. This is within my comfort zone. And sometimes we hesitate saying yes, even when it's good even when it's right, even when it's needed, even when it's necessary, because oftentimes we'll choose the predictable, the familiar, and the comfortable. So when Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well, it is a loaded question, not just do you want to walk? Are you ready for a new life? Here's the man's response. I, I think his response is pretty telling. Verse 7, he first says, I can't, sir. Quick two things to notice. First, he doesn't even answer the question. This wasn't, he didn't answer, yes, I do, or no, I don't. He just goes into why it can't happen. I can't, and he calls him sir. If you keep reading through the story, you'll notice that this man doesn't even know Jesus. That's why he doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't call him Messiah. He doesn't call him rabbi. He doesn't call him teacher. He doesn't call him master. He doesn't call him Jesus. He calls him sir because he doesn't know what else to call him because he doesn't know who this is. So he has no idea who he's speaking to, and his response is, I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. All right, let me give you a little Bible context. You're like, bubbles, pools, what are we talking about here? Let me give you a little context. 
So what has happened is, uh, this is in Jerusalem, there's this spring that has caused water to come up, creating this pool that in uh, scripture we call the pool of Bethesda. And there was a superstition attached to this spring that when the spring would release air, those bubbles would come up. The superstition was that it was an angel stirring the waters. And that superstition led those of, that were disabled, those that were paralyzed, those that had an illness of any kind. The superstition was if you were the first one to get in the pool, when the pool would begin to bubble, you would be healed. Superstition not biblical. We all on the same page there? Right. There's not, the bubbles didn't do anything, but it was the superstition that many lived by. So anytime that that spring would start to bubble in the pool, there would be a mad rush to be the first one in the pool. So notice this now makes a little bit more sense of this man's response to Jesus. He says, I can't. Now notice what he does is he kind of deflects Jesus's question. Instead of giving an answer, he gives an excuse and then places blame. We do that a lot, by the way. We give excuses and we place blame. The excuse was, I can't. Can't you see? I I can't walk, he looked at Jesus. He says, I can't. I have no one to get me into the pool when the water bubbles up. So I can't, like physically, I have. Now that's a legitimate excuse, but still it's an excuse. And he physically cannot do this. Do you want to be well? I can't. It's not within my ability. It's not within my power. It's not within my skill set. I am not capable of making that happen. There's excuse. And then he places blame. He blames everybody else. And then someone else always gets there ahead of me. You know, if they would not do that, then I would be able to do this. Now that sounds like more our language. If they would or wouldn't, then I would be able to. So he begins to point at everybody else. Everybody else is the problem. If they would let me go, if they wouldn't get there first, then I would be able to. He makes an excuse and then he places blame, excuses and and blames on why he can't do what Jesus is offering. Jesus doesn't really even recognize the answer. It's not really even an answer. Here's what Jesus does next. Verse eight, Jesus told him, didn't ask him, told him three things. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Those three commands there, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The way I want us to look at those three commands from Jesus is in the context of the question. The question was, would you like to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Again, we're not just talking about a a physical healing. Jesus is looking at this man inside and out legs and heart, on earth and for all of eternity. And he's looking at this man and saying, do you want to be made whole? This man's response, I can't, and it's their fault. So then Jesus gives these three commands, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I believe he could say the same thing to us today too. If he were to look at us and say, Brian, do you want to be made whole? I don't know, God. Jesus, I don't think I can. Like, I mean, you know my past, you know my history. There's no way that that's ever going to work. And there's a lot of other people that are a lot more holy than me. So I don't think I can. I feel like Jesus would look at me and say those same things. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's talk through those. In order for this man to stand up, it requires trust. 100% trust to trust Jesus. It's interesting, almost ironic, that this man said, I can't. And the first thing that Jesus tells him to do is stand up. It's almost like, uh, didn't you hear me the first time? I can't do this. Jesus ignores what's possible for this man. 
because it requires this man to rely 100% and fully on Jesus. The only way, please hear me, the only way for this man to truly do what Jesus is asking or is telling here is for this man to trust in Jesus. Let me say that again. The only way for this man to do what Jesus is telling him is for him to trust in Jesus. If this was anybody else telling this man, stand up, not going to do anything, not going to work. But because it's Jesus, he trusts. And he begins to see that there's something different about this man. He doesn't know who he is still, but there's something different. It requires complete trust. There's no other possible way for this man to stand up except because of Jesus. John chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. I'll just reference it real quick. John 14, verse six, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice what's impossible and what he makes possible. No one can come to the Father except through me. So when Jesus says, like, I want you to be saved, Jesus came so that we could be saved. We could be whole with him. We could be unified with him, that our sins could be forever forgiven. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. And Jesus is like, you're right. You can't do that. That's why you need me. We trust in him. Just like this man, the miracle cannot happen if we do not trust in Jesus. The miracle I'm referring to is the miracle of salvation. We cannot be saved if there's not a trust in Jesus. And it's not a kind of trust in Jesus. It's not a sort of trust in Jesus and sort of trust in somebody else. Just like this man here, it is a complete and sole trust in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. We have to put our trust in Jesus. That's the miracle of salvation. Second part, pick up your mat. It's kind of interesting, right? Why not just stand up, you're good to go. Like, you got it, you're healed. Why the pick up your mat? I think, now you're gonna get a little bit of my opinion here so we could agree to disagree. I think that mat for this man, again, how long was he this way? 38 years. For 38 years, might've been the same mat for 38 years, who knows? But I think this man started to view that mat as, well, that's basically who I am. I'm defined by this mat because this mat is where I sit every single day because I can't go anywhere else. People know me by sitting on this mat. In fact, that mat kind of gives me my spot next to the pool. I lay my mat out and that's where I'm going to be. Like, that's my home. That's who I am. I believe he started to probably have a little bit of an identity attached to that mat. And so for Jesus to say, stand up, pick up your mat. You don't need that space next to the pool anymore. That's your old life. That mat is representative of his old life. You don't need it anymore. Pick it up. It doesn't define you. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your sins. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by that mat anymore. So just go ahead and pick it up. It will not define you any longer. So pick it up. You don't need it anymore. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians regard to our old life and then our new life. Ephesians chapter four, verse 21. He writes, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. That's like the prerequisite. We have to start there. Knowing Jesus and knowing the truth that comes from him. When that happens, verse 22, we throw off, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, your mat, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. You put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Do you see the progression there? We put our trust in Jesus 
And he does a miracle in us through salvation that we could never do on our own. It is only by our trust in him and the grace that he gives us. Not the grace that we earn, not the grace that we deserve, because that's not grace. Just like this man, he didn't deserve this healing. Jesus says, do you want it? And he does the same thing for us. And if we say yes, then he says, no, you don't need your old life anymore. You don't need to hold on to the past. You don't need to hold on to what you think defines you. We're given a new life, not just a changed life, a new life. And that new life is where we begin to walk. But man, we love holding on to the past. I'm a sentimental guy at heart. Like I have all, like I hate throwing things away. My wife is the exact opposite of that. In fact, early on in our marriage, this caused a lot of tension. When we took like my life before getting married and her life before getting married and then we shoved it together, started to create in a new life. She's like, Brian, why do you have all this stuff? And I'm like, it's my stuff. She's like, not anymore. So it was amazing. Like she practically got a dumpster and just started getting rid of things. Like, no, 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 we got to hold on to this. We got to hold on to this. We got to hold on. Like, I love holding on to things. I love keeping things. In fact, one of them, some of you are going to learn something new about me today. No, I cannot still fit into this shirt, but I refuse to let go of this shirt. Even in fact, last night I had to go find it. I was like, where is this shirt? And I accused my wife. I apologize. I was like, did you throw it away? And she was like, I would never like you would. I'm going to believe you because I'm supposed to. So it took me forever, but I finally found it because some of you don't know this. In a prior life, it's kind of a big deal. I went to this big university, and at this big university, I played football. Why is there laugh? Hey, really? The laugh was not what I was anticipating there. No, what I have here is my shirt from the KCU Kentucky Christian University intramural flag football champions right here. Thank you very much. Our school is about 600 people total. And it took me all the way to my senior year to finally get this shirt. And I was so proud. I don't need your pity. I don't need the pity. That's not why I'm telling the story. But it's funny that like I'll throw away other shirts that don't fit anymore from like college days or they've gotten holes in them. This shirt's staying with me, man. We're not letting go of this shirt. Right now, yeah, I mean, sure, keep your old football shirts, no big deal. But don't we have that same sentiment with some of our old history and some of our old life? Where we say, no, like I just, I'm not ready to let go of that yet. God, I know you've given me a new life, but man, there's, I just, I, I just, I'm not ready to, I'm not, you hear the rambling that happens, that what goes on in our heads, doesn't it? When Jesus looked at this man and said, stand up, put your trust in me, pick up your mat, he was looking at this man and saying, it's time for a new life. You're not going to come back to the pool of Bethesda anymore. You do not need your mat anymore. You have new life, so don't come back. It's the no turning back part that's hard. We love, we love the miracle of salvation. We love to celebrate that as we should. It changes our eternity. We struggle with the no turning back part. What's still holding us back? What are you still holding on to? Are you still going back to your mat? Are you still trying to go back to what used to define you? So Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat. What was the last part? Remember? And walk, and walk. I love that he uses the word walk there. Like that's active, right? It's, there's movement there. It's not stand up, pick up your mat, and stay still. It was not stand up, pick up your mat, and don't 
to end. No, there's, there's movement. It's stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And we've talked about this before. We use the phrase a lot around here, next steps. Walking literally is what? A step after a step after a step after a step, and it continues. It does not stop. The moment you stop taking steps, you stop walking. So to follow Jesus's command, the idea of stand up, pick up your mat and walk requires constant movement. Not I'll take a few steps. He doesn't say stand up, pick up your mat and take three steps. Take five steps. Take steps until the end of the day. No, it's just this command to just keep moving and keep walking. Keep taking steps. When we leave our life behind, we take steps and we continue to take next steps. And here's why. Because every step we take is us living out the miracle of salvation. Every step we take are steps in the grace that he's given us. For this man, every step he took is a reminder, I'm doing what I used to not be able to do. Can you imagine that? Every step, I used to not be able to do this. I used to not be able to do this. I can't believe I'm actually doing like, can you imagine what that felt like to be living the miracle every single step of the way? Same as, uh, same as true for us though. Philippians chapter one, verse six. If you've been around me long enough, this should be a little bit familiar. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until six or seven steps. No. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's not done with you yet. Amen. Hear that. Like, don't just hear me say that. Like, I pray that comes to hear. God's not done with you. He's not finished. He's got so much more for you. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. He wants to change you. He wants to challenge you. He wants to mature you. He wants to use you might want to break you, restore you, rebuild you. And every step we take towards him is a step towards Jesus, a step to becoming more and more like Christ. And he's not done. So we stand up and we put our trust in him. We pick up our mat and we leave our old life behind, but we leave our old life behind by taking steps towards him. We walk. And we say around here a lot that we stumble in the right direction. That's not a perfect walk. We stumble a lot along the way, but we're moving towards him and we don't stop. Please never feel like, oh, I've made it. I've arrived. I have finally finished. No, we're told very clearly that happens the day that Christ comes back. And he hasn't come back yet, so he's not done yet. He's not done with you. And you might say like this man would say, yeah, yeah, but... but you don't know my past, you don't know what I can't do, and you know what I've been through, and you don't know what other people have done. Remember the excuse and the blame, and the answer is still the same. He's not done yet. In fact, if you keep reading through this story, we won't go through all of it, um, Jesus shows that by not being done. He actually goes back and finds this man. The man gets healed, like there's this big deal, and even the Pharisees, religious leaders, they don't like it. Again, read it on your own. Uh, but Jesus comes back around and finds this man, because again, the man still didn't know that this was Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So in verse 13 out of John chapter 5, it says, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. Still didn't know who this man Jesus was. But afterwards, I love this, Jesus found him in the temple and told him. So Jesus and this man are now having a second conversation. Jesus 
Jesus told him, now that you are well, whole, now that you have a new life, look at what he tells him, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. He finally had a name with his miracle and a name with his healer. What might Jesus be asking you? Now that you are whole, what's that next step? What's that next step? We can easily get stuck like this man. I think, again, we don't see it in the passage, but I feel like the man, based on his response in verse 7, there was a little hesitancy, like, I don't know, I can't. And again, all the things that would begin to change. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda, we can get very familiar with our life. We can get very comfortable in the life we've gotten used to. And that means, at times, if we're honest, we can get used to our sin. We get very familiar and used to our brokenness. And we've learned to live a broken, fractured life apart from God. We get used to that. And so when Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? We're like, well, I mean, I've kind of gotten used to a life without you, Jesus. I don't know if I want to change everything. It was in the 1990s that uh, P&G came out with a brand new product. I'm going to shift gears on you. Brand new product. It was a fascinating pro- product. In fact, for that time in that industry, it was very revolutionary. Ready for the product? Febreze. You guys have Febreze? How many have Febreze in their house right now? Yeah, we have Febreze, right? And it was such a great invention because it was different than everything else in that industry of odor removal, right? Everything else just covered or masked all the other bad odors. I was just like, make it smell more like fresh linen. Let's try to do more of that. And then you walk in and you're like, got bad smell and fresh linen doesn't mix well. So they created a product that did not have any scent. The first Febreze product had no scent. It was unscented because what it did was it attached to the bad odors and it actually eliminated the bad odors. Like it absorbed it and eliminated the bad odors. They're like, this is just amazing. We've invented something incredible. This is going to revolutionize revolutionize this industry. So they spent all this money on marketing and then no one bought it. Like nobody. By the late 1990s, they, that product was in jeopardy of just being pulled off the shelf and scrapped because they couldn't figure out why would no one buy an incredible product that removed, didn't mask, but remove all the bad odors. Like, everybody needs this. Why is nobody buying it? So they handed it off to the P&G uh, Research Development and Marketing uh, Department and said, we just need you to ask the why question. Why is no one buying this? So they got up into pairs and they went out and they did a lot of in-home case studies, talking with people, talking with different um, homeowners and all kinds of different places, like trying to figure out if this was a need. And I want to share with you what their report, these two specific researchers, what they found. Uh, They went into a specific home, this lady, uh, single lady, but she had nine cats in her home. Hey, I'm not going to say anything. You all said it yourself. One of the researches, quote, said, remembered being the, the smell, the cat smell being so overwhelming and overpowering in the home that he reached the point of gagging on a few occasions. So then, then they continued this conversation. Here's the conversation between researchers and homeowner. Researcher, what do you do about the cat smell? Homeowner, it's usually not a problem. Researcher, do you smell it now? Homeowner, No, isn't it wonderful? My cats hardly smell at all. Here was their conclusion. Marketing a product that neutralizes odors to a consumer base that inherently believes no odor exists in their own home is impossible. Here's my paraphrase. 
if I don't think my house smells, I don't need to buy Febreze. That's what they discovered. Here's why I share that. If you are not aware of the brokenness and the sin in your own life, you will never see your need for a savior. So when Jesus comes to you and asks the question, would you like to be made whole? Do you know that you need to be made whole? What if Jesus asked you today, would you like to be made whole? What's your answer? What do you begin to wrestle with? Do you recognize your need? Is it a, no, 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 I'm good. Like things are actually pretty good. Not too bad. I'll holler if I need you. Is it a, like the man we read about, is it a, I can't. Like, I can't do that. Like, I know what you're asking, but I, I can't do that for myself because of what's happened to me or because of what I've done, because of my history. And Jesus' response to you would be, I know you can't. That's why I came. Do you need to be made whole? Are you ready for him to make you whole? I want to give you an opportunity to kind of think through that question, your answer to that question in three ways. Just like the commands of Jesus, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Have you put your trust in Jesus yet? You start there. You don't fix things and then trust. This man didn't try to walk before he was healed. So don't try to walk before you put your trust in Jesus. It's his grace that heals us. It's his grace that gives us salvation and the miracle of salvation. It's not because you work really hard and you say, look at me, look at what I did. Now can I walk? No. You trust in him and he gives you grace. Do you need to trust in him? Maybe you need to pick up your mat. Maybe you've got a past. Maybe you've got a history. You've got some great excuses and a lot of blame. Are you ready for new life? Are you ready to throw away the old shirt? Are you ready to not go back to the old because you're living and walking in the miracle of your new life? Are you ready to keep walking? Maybe that's where you're at. You've put your trust in Jesus, you're living this new life, but you've started to slow down. Keep taking next steps towards Jesus. If you wanna know how to really wrestle with that question, here you go. What might God call you to that would cause you to trust him even more? That next step should cause you to depend more and more on Jesus. That next step should cause you to trust in him even more. Don't slow down. Keep pursuing him. Keep seeking him. Keep trusting on him because of the new life that we've been given. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you and we recognize that we are in need of you. We recognize our desperate dependence on you. That Jesus, if you were to look at me today and say, Brian, would you like to be made whole? My tendency is to say, I couldn't do that. And your response is, I know. Jesus, thank you for being what we could never be on our own. Thank you for doing what we could never do on our own. God, regardless of where we find ourselves today, Holy Spirit, would you speak clearly and plainly? For those that need to be convicted, would you convict? For those that need to be comforted, would you comfort? For those that need to be challenged, would you challenge? For those that need to be encouraged, would you encourage? God, help us to know what's next for us. May we trust in you and you alone. May we walk into this new life that you have given us. And may we not stop walking towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.